Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Now, good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It's MJ Cleary with you for the next hour, bringing you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now, thank you all for joining me this evening and welcome to the programme. I was off last week as it was International Women's Day and Claire O'Brien stepped in for me. So many thanks to Claire for that. And uh, it was nice just to get a random week uh, week off in the st- at the start of March, I won't lie, uh, busy as it is for everyone at the moment. A very different weather since I was speaking to you all last, uh, which is two weeks ago, a really cold snap this week, especially on Saturday last, absolute skinner of a day on Saturday. March of many weathers, as they say, and never a truer word has been spoken. It is promised milder this weekend up in to double figures on Saturday it'll give a little bit of respite but still wet so look we'll see what next week brings but I know 17th of March Paddy's Day is always a day where people have in their head of turning out stock I know dairy cattle have been out dairy cows have been out over the course of the last month a lot some beef cattle here and there but uh, and not as much and I know that is a date that people have in their heads so fingers crossed we won't be a million miles off it maybe next week Now, this evening's programme and banding is the only word in dairy farming at the moment. It's causing serious problems for dairy farmers throughout the country. And Aidan Brennan from the Irish Farmers Journal will join me later to chat about what ways dairy farmers are handling these banding rules. And also an update on calving and the calf trade. I was speaking to a dairy farmer at the weekend, last weekend, uh, milk, a very good operator, milking 101 cows. The way the rules are after changing for him unless he takes additional ground which doesn't seem possible that 101 will have to go down to 86 and that is a serious blow to an enterprise no question about it Uh, those last 15-16 cows that's really where your profit margins come in and it's one of these things that's hitting all farmers across the board in dairying and we'll talk to Aidan later to see just exactly how farmers are handling it Farmers Alliance is an organisation that want to bring the control of agriculture back to the farmer. They feel that one body needs to represent farmers' interests. And they had an initial meeting in Athlone last month. You might have seen it. They have quite a social media presence. Now, they're officially launching next month again in Athlone. And George O'Malley, one of their spokesperson, will join me later this evening. And he'll tell you what Farmers Alliance is all about. And if you're interested in them, then how you... Uh, can attend the meeting and indeed join the group. Now, you would have gotten a letter about your basic payment in the last couple of weeks and I'm wondering if you are as confused with it as I am uh, because there is a lot of confusion out there at the moment. Chagas are holding an information night next Tuesday in the Tullamore Court Hotel to go through it all. The good thing is it's open to members and non-members alike. Paul Fox from Chagas and Tullamore will join me here in a little bit to chat about what's on offer and it's something that all farmers need to be cognizant of because we won't feel the closing date for the new cap payment. It's called, uh, just, there's that many names for all the different ones. We won't go into it now, but it's your basic payment and uh, the closing date will be around the end of May as usual. So you won't feel it coming around. So now is the time to get that information and to know exactly uh, what you are going to do going forward. Now, as always, text the show with comments, thoughts or questions to 083 30 10 103. I'd be happy to bring to our listeners this evening, to our guests, I should say, this evening. Uh, now, to start this evening's programme, we are going to start on the topic of Angus Cattle. And we have no better man on the line than chairman of the Irish Angus Cattle Society. And that's Sean Kilkenny. Uh, Sean, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Hello, MJ. How are you? 
Thank we'll go, you. We're going good, Sean, and thanks for joining me. Uh, the reason uh, we said we'd do a little segment on Angus cattle this week is obviously, look, breeding season is very close to us around the corner. However, speaking to dairy farmers predominantly, there is a little bit of a fear out there that a lot of the Angus bulls are going to be gone early in the breeding season and there might be a lack of supply. So that's what we're going to be speaking about in a moment. But in advance of that, Sean, just a little bit on yourself. Uh, Chairman of the Irish Angus Cattle Society, no doubt uh, an Angus breeder. Can you tell us what part of the country you're from and what your own enterprise is, please? Yeah, I'm just from a place called outside Ballinyan, County Cavan here. Um, a mixture, I suppose, of a suckling farm and a little bit of a beef enterprise as well, too. Uh, the ground round here now, as you know yourself in Cavan, would be hilly and wet. So we wouldn't just be blessed with the best of ground, but we make the best of what we have, as I say. Yeah, and uh, well suited to the, the traditional breed, the Angus cattle. Well, the Angus cattle, I suppose, the reason I would say we got into them or whatever was of a part of a job, but we'd say they kind of they look after themselves. You can go to work and come home comfortably and you know that the calf is landed on the ground, no hassle. Um, the mothers, as you know yourself, good maternal ability, stuff like that, no, they haven't pulled, no hassle with them. Yeah, well, and of course, at the minute, the breed is in a bit of a high, as you know yourself. Yeah, well suited to that part of the country. And, and as you alluded to there, Sean, the breed is on a high. There's no question about it. It's Angus, 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 uh, commanding great prices in the ring and in the factory. And obviously, we have the Irish Angus producer group as well, uh, which uh, gives that extra bonus for Angus cattle. And that leads in then to the reason that they're in high demand. So is there going to be an issue with bulls this year, Sean, do you believe? Do you think uh, everyone will be able to get their hands on one? Or are they selling earlier than you? Usual? I think they are selling earlier than usual and I suppose there has been look at I suppose beef prices at the tail end of twenty twenty two. A lot of people, I suppose dairy farmers got rid of their bulls. But they went back, I suppose, based on I suppose the good milk price that they had. They moved an awful lot earlier. They seem to have moved an awful lot earlier this year and other years. In other words, they purchased their bulls a little bit earlier, which means that I suppose the few sales that have taken place, the numbers have been quite small in comparison to other years. And the the, uh, the farmers who are purchasing that little bit earlier then, uh, Sean, just what's the reason for that uh, this year as opposed to uh, another year? Are they just afraid they're going to dry up or do they just want to get their ducks in a row or if they're just dealing with someone, they want to make sure that the, the deal is done early doors? Well, I suppose two reasons. I suppose, as you said yourself, the one that the ducks lined up in a row, there's an awful lot of lads that are more tuned in, I suppose, more so than ever. I suppose there's one reason too. But like as well as that, I suppose, is to be prepared. You don't know what's coming. You know, like anyway, so... They, what seems to be is a lot of people have purchased, we'd say, the more mature bull, the 16, 17-month-old bull, to have him at home and have him at the place, we'd say, a month to six weeks before they let him out. I suppose there's always a bit of a thing where people went to a sale, bought the bull, bought the bull home, and two or three days later he was out with the cows, you know. So they seem to, people's thinking seems to have changed a little bit, to be honest with you. And maybe it is the fear factor because, as you say, a lot of the earlier sales, prices have been very good, we'd say, from Christmas on. And February and March, the two sales in February and March, prices were very good, numbers were small, but demand was quite high for them, stronger, you know, mature type of a bull. Yeah, and to the, speaking of prices, yeah, there was a sale up in Carrick on Shannon is the, the home of the Angus, as a sale in Carrick on Saturday last. It was a Midland and Western livestock uh, sale and the top price was 7400 uh, for an Angus bull. Uh, according to the Farmer's Journal, went to a dairy farmer down in our neck of the woods here, a, or went to a suckler farmer, I should say, in County Westmead. Uh, great price, 7400 
Yeah, great. Adam Woods uh, was the owner of the bull from Ballyconnell and Calvin. Yeah, he was a lovely bull. He actually was a prize winner on the day too. Yeah, he went. But then that price, like I suppose there was other bulls on the day. Like overall, it was a great sale. I suppose for there was less than 30 bulls there. Um, we say even the, 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 the February sale that took place prior to this, it was a similar story as well. There's some great prices as well too at it. And it was, it was the same story too. P- people looking for that little bit more mature sort of a bowl, the 16, 17-month-old bowl, you know, a little bit stronger. You know, that's what they were looking for. I suppose, uh, Sean, realistically, look, there's lots of money in dairy at the moment, so farmers are going to pay that little bit more for that slightly stronger bull just so he can go out and hit the ground running and take, take I suppose, the, that little element of, of guesswork out of it, you know? I suppose that's true as well, because I suppose as the year moves on, I suppose there will be them farmers who are going to purchase a younger type bull, say a 13, 14-month-old bull to run with a heifer. In the in the hope that they'll keep that ball on and he'll be more you know he'll be only he'll be two year old next year you know that can be a little bit over two years of age you know so them balls the market that's they haven't kicked off really as such yet but that will progress but as you say what seems to be happening is the farmers that we say looking for balls for cows they seem to have moved an awful lot earlier this year in comparison to other years. And Sean, you have some sales coming up yourself, the Angus Cattle Society, uh, over the course of the next period of time. Uh, can you just tell us what you have on offer? When are those sales coming up? Yeah, I'll just give you a few dates. I suppose the 22nd of March in Kilkenny, the 8th of April, there's three sales. There's one in Carrick and Shannon, one in Ballina, and one in the North Munster sale in Kilmallock. And the 12th of April, there's a sale in Kilkenny. The 28th of April in Formoy, and then the 3rd of May in Thorless. And look at MG, anyone that wants details on regarding them sales, if they contact the office at 071-962-0253 or email office at irishangus.ie, we'll help them as best we can. Very good. Uh, Sean, look, many thanks for coming on and joining us. As you say, look, it's a growth area at the moment. Angus, they're really hot. Uh, everyone wants a, a piece of them. And there's a reason for it, as you yeah. said. Look, good quality cattle, no hassle. And uh, that's why people are going back to them. So look, you're going to be a busy man as a chairman of the society uh, for the next period of time, Sean. There, I don't think this uh, interest in Angus cattle is going anywhere. And uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a growth area at the moment. So I'll say many thanks for joining me this evening. All right. Thank you, MJ. Uh, Sean Kilkenny there, chairman of the Irish Angus Cattle Society. And uh, not to be afraid if you are looking for an Angus bull. Look, I'm sure you're going to be able to get your hands on one, but definitely demand is up this year. And that 7,400 that was paid at the sale on Saturday, as Sean just said there, was Adam Woods from the Farmer's Journal. Adam joins me here regularly on the programme. He's also a cabin man. He's a neighbour of Sean's, actually. And a great price that was uh, commanded for that bull. And in general, I see, I see average uh, prices at that sale was in around kind of three and a half thousand, three eight, uh, three two. So you're talking probably three five, three six on average. A strong sale, no doubt about it. And that is the Irish Angus Cattle Society. If you log onto their website, you'll get all those dates of the upcoming sales. Um, we're talking uh, 22nd of March, 8th of April, 12th of April, 23rd of May. Some of them are a bit far, far away for us here in the Midlands. Some of them are a bit closer by. There's one in Thurles, you know, and uh, there is another one up in Carrick. Uh, I suppose all those sales are online as well, so distance doesn't need to be as big a deal as it once was. Uh, you can you can purchase online, and um, those organisations usually organise transport for you as well as part of it all. Now we're moving on, and we have George O'Malley on the line. George, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thank you very much, Jim. 
Uh, so George you're from Farmers Alliance and people may be familiar with you you had a meeting in Athlone earlier in the year a kind of a tyre kicking exercise I suppose just to generate uh, to see what type of interest there was in your organisation and let's rewind the clock a little bit uh, George for people who may not be familiar with Farmers Alliance or what you're about can you give us a bit of an indication as to what your modus operandi is please well the reason for it MJ is um uh, there's a feeling out there, and uh, increasingly so, that that farmers or primary producers are not properly um, represented at all. Um, so we held a meeting a number of weeks ago in Athlone to, as it were, take the pulse and take soundings as to if uh, this judgment was correct. And um, the overwhelming conclusion was that people felt that something really dramatic needed to be uh, done uh, to represent the, their needs and their interests much differently than what was currently going on. Yeah, very good, George. And so what's the plan then, uh, <coughs> medium term, long to medium term? You want to get as many farmers as you can on board. And wh- what are you going to do then going forward? Well, it's really not, you know, we're not out there sort of as it were beating the bushes and the hedgerows to get a big membership. We, our first priority is to get the message out there, what it is that we're about. And there's, there's two key areas that we want to get involved in that affects the actual primary producer. The first one is the actual cost of the input. And the two major ones is fertilizer and feed. Uh, fertilizer and feed supply in this country is controlled by a handful of big players. And we intend very definitely to get involved directly in that. And uh, we intend to import directly fertilizer and feed uh, and supply farmers, small merchants, uh, directly with this. That's, that's a, the first one. Yeah, that's a big undertaking, uh, George. It's a very good concept. There's no question about it. And I don't disagree with you at all that it's a few players that control that market. However, there's a few people who control it because it's not simple. You know, you're talking about chartering a ship from uh, a long way away and, and bringing it and handling it and dealing with it and storing <laughs> it and whatnot. So have you, like, that the logistics of it, you know what I mean? Um, I know, like, that's, that's kind of nonsense, if you don't mind me saying so. Uh, the I don't. The problem that we face here in this is the opposition that will come from those players. There's no question at all about that. You know, I've been involved in importing and exporting for a number of years in other areas. And uh, it, it's not the Herculean task that you suggest at all, MJ, with all due respect. Perfect, the opposition, yeah. The opposition and the likely blackguarding that may come uh, en route with this. But the actual task involved of taking a shipment in uh, and the onward logistics, it, it, it's not a huge task. Absolutely not. So say, um, say nothing, it's, ha, nothing has been done. So sorry, MJ. Nothing has been done by farming organisations down the decade to actually put the primary producer in greater control of his cost, and that's what we intend to do. So say that's, the fertilizer, so the, the the fertilizer side is, side of it, George. What do you think? Say. A uh, farmer, listen now, saying, OK, so the Farmers Alliance are going to bring in fertiliser and they maintain it's not that big, big a job. Uh, so that's perfect. 
What do you think you could do on a, on a cost perspective then? Say fertiliser is currently at whatever it's at. How much percent less could it potentially be purchased for if you were to cut out the middleman like this? Or have you thought about that? Like, have you gone into that level of detail on it? You may not have. We've started on it and we're, we know that it's significant. Right? It's significant. At the moment, uh, there is a price disparity between Northern Ireland and the Republic are between two and three hundred euros a ton. That's huge. That's huge. Um, and if you talk about prices on mainland Europe, it's it's uh, the disparity is even greater. The problem is that the fertilizer market and the feed market is controlled here by a small handful and a, of importers and big merchants and big dealers. That's the problem. And the, the farmers, the producers, they, you know, they're really on a hiding to nothing with this. Uh, that's the fertiliser side of it, George. OK, uh, let's move on to the, the feed. So we're talking rations, the, the main feed uh, given to the cattle, sheep throughout the country. You feel, again, few players have the market on this and this, this needs to be shaken up. Again, no one's going to disagree with you on this, but uh, how is this done then? What are the, the logistics of this one? Well, you know, again, you know, we don't intend to actually, as it were, conquer the world. Uh, overnight or in mm-hmm. the space of a year or two or whatever. But it's a process which needs to be started because this whole business about the viability and sustainability of, of farms and family farms, it, we're in the last chance saloon with it. There's no question at all about that. And I'll tell you why. Um, farmers are tired. They are burdened and the age profile is increasing all the time. All you need to do is look at the statistics produced by Chagask for, for example, the number of full-time farmers, the number of part-time farmers, and the income for those two cohorts of farmers. All of those numbers are dropping all the time. So people are getting tired and they're getting older. Right? Now, if you look at the feed situation here, we produce roughly about 2 million tonnes, as far as I know, of animal feed here, uh, homegrown. The bulk of that is purchased by merchants and sold out, retailed back to the neighbours very often of uh, those grain growers at a considerable uh, differential. Like, why is that the case? Well, why is I, suppo- I suppose, I suppose though, the, the, answer, the answer to that, George, again, is just the ability to handle it. To if you buy oats or barley or whatever they'll bring it in on a large scale they'll be able to roll it they'll be able to bag it they'll be able to mix it with whatever the other compounds are and then they'll be able to sell it in smaller amounts so I suppose that's the answer to that that's why it's being done but, but, but nothing has been done to actually take this element out of the chain it, it, it's adding considerably to the cost so yeah, but there is, there is, there is not, there's nothing stopping, George, two farmers getting together and one farmer purchasing grain directly off another farmer. But the reason it doesn't happen is because they don't have the ability to handle it. It's, it's not facilitated and it's not encouraged. There is some of it happening, but there's not enough of it happening. Yeah, but my, 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 my question to you on that, George, is they don't, farmers don't have a way of handling a large amount of grain. They have no way of rolling it, of mixing it with compounds, of doing all those things. And, and that's why they're purchasing it off those larger businesses. No, it's not. No, it's not. 
I'm talking here about straight feeding barley and feeding oats and feeding wheat. A lot of the grain uh, growers in this country have very significant handling facilities, and the actual cost involved in whatever additional um, equipment is needed, it's not huge. It's like, for example, if you look at the TAM system and how there's very significant funding for slurry spreaders directly to farmers, it's crazy. This is more beneficial because that other system of uh, grant-aiding large slurry tankers to individual farmers is madness. It's putting them into actual, it's putting them into debt and it's it's actually causing problems for the contractors in the areas. It's not, it hasn't been looked at MJ and it hasn't been developed. There is an amount of it going on, but not enough of it. And it would contribute very significantly to the reduction of the cost base. Yeah, so you feel, uh, George, there should be TAMs on uh, equipment handle grain, like rolling equipment and whatnot, so farmers can purchase directly off each other. And again, I, w- yes. I'm not going to disagree with you on it. It's, 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 a, it's a good concept. There's no question about it. I just, I suppose with some farmers, time is another issue as well in relation to this. Uh, and, and just the ability to do it, have it done for what they're going to save in relation to it. Each of these, though, it's George, we're talking, we're talking about fertiliser, we're talking about feed. We're talking about money comes down to everything. So, so funding this. So, say for example, uh, purchasing this large amount of fertilizer and then selling it on at a, at a more reasonable cost. How's this going to be funded? Well, as I said, you know that's that's the um, that's for further discussion and elaboration. But it's it's not an insurmountable problem. And unfortunately, it's this kind of thinking that has been promoted with the farming community. Oh, sure, how would you manage that? You couldn't do that. Aren't you much better paid through the nose from a big merchant for it than get involved in this? You wouldn't be able to do that. You see, that, that's the, that we need to change the dial on that discussion. Well, anything, anything, can be, anything can be done, George, once it's you know, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic and timed. If it's, if it's doable, it can be done. However, if you're going to bring in an awful lot of fertiliser and you're going to ask farmers to forward pay for it, which is what they're going to have to do, there's going to have to be a serious level of trust here and there's going to have to be some sort of transparent agreement set up that you know, this won't go awry or else there'll be big trouble. You know? do you, you're getting into the area now of working out the financials and the business model for this. I'm not doing that here. I'm talking about changing the dial on this discussion. Otherwise, we may as well leave the room and pull the door after us and forget about it. Because if something isn't done to the, to the uh, uncontrollable cost into which the farmers or the primary producer has really no say, they may as well stop because they're being crushed. I, you know... I was speaking to a sheep farmer recently who was at the the sale in Balting He was about to let down the ramp, the half the lambs, and a man came up to him and said, by the way, it's not great in there. And, you know, by the way, did you hear that meal has gone up 35 euro a ton? So price down, inputs up. Like, that situation is untenable. The margin on the sheep at the moment is 7 euros. You'd want 5,000 sheep in order to generate an income from one person. Like, you know, those people would be better off in Aldi, stacking shelves. So either we change the dial and start talking a a different language about doing things differently, or we may as well forget about it. 
And George, I do want to be clear with you. Uh, I think your 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 broader concepts. There, there's definitely uh, room to speak about this and to go in and see who's interested and see what you're going to do. I don't disagree with you on the margin in beef or in sheep farming. And I think if uh, this could be done and if it could occur that farmers could get more value for money in relation to fertilizer and feed, it would be a fantastic thing. So I just want to ensure that you understand that uh, we are far farmers here. On, we are far farmers here on the program and uh, not trying to uh, say to you that this can't occur yeah just we're just you know I mean we're just being devil's advocate in a few things and throwing out some potential problems on it tell us George when is your meeting in Athlone next when you want people to come along and raise some questions and have a chat about this in more detail can I just refer MJ briefly to the other area which needs attention and that is in the added value at the moment when the farmers go to actually sell and it's selling, not marketing that they're doing. They're selling their product. They are price takers, not price makers. The farmers have no say into what's likely to happen. Take the ludicrous situation with the dairy PLCs that collect the milk today, the liquid milk, and they tell the farmers a month after what they would give them for it. Like, I would love to see the business plans that those farmers that are borrowing from financial institutions that they submit, on which they draw down very large borrowing, when they can't even actually give certainty to the, to the price point. Like, that's madness. Well, look, George, I think, I think of, of all the areas now, I think, I think the milk side of it are happy enough over the course of the last year. I, but having said that, I do, I don't, again, I don't disagree with you. Look, there is a, a month in lieu there. Uh, George, I'm going to have to finish it there, though, because I just have to move to a break. So just my, my question on when your meeting is next, please, uh, day and date and a location. Yeah, the launch is on Sunday... Uh, the 16th of April, I think, if I got it right, is that on a Sunday? Yeah. 16th of April, the Athlone Springs Hotel. The interest is from the Glens of Antrim to the far end of Kerry, from individual farmers, from merchants, and from contractors. And tell me, George, what time is that on? Not sure what the time is, but it's probably 2 o'clock, I'd say, you know, but there yeah, will be absolutely. a notice in the media anyhow. Lovely stuff. Couple of weeks, that, that, that Very good, George. Look, we'll give you a mention just before, uh, if you remind me just in advance of it for, to our listeners here, Sunday, 16th of April. And many thanks for joining me this evening. Thank you very much, MJ. Uh, George O'Malley there, Farmers Alliance. And uh, look, some big plans, no question about it. Uh, 16th of April is when the meeting is. By all means, go along and see uh, exactly what Farmers Alliance are planning and uh, what their thought process is on agriculture over the medium term. Uh, Fertiliser and feed seems to be their big ones um, and also trying to increase the, the, the value of uh, the primary product. Now, changes to cap farm payments 2023. That's what this event is entitled. It's on next Tuesday, 21st of March, half seven here in Tullamore in the Tullamore Court Hotel and Paul Fox from Chagas is involved in the organisation of it. Paul, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thanks very much, MJ. Uh, the first thing I'm going to say, Paul, is it's on at half seven. There's that many changes to this new cap. Would people be as well book a room, Paul? Uh, it's, going to, it's going to go on fairly late into the night, I'd say. You'll be doing well to get it all across the line over the course of a couple of hours. Some amount of change is coming up, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely, MJ. Yeah, no, I was just listing out the various different individual components that are part of the CAP 2023 and I've I stopped at number 9 it's probably a 10th or 11th if I kept thinking about it you know so there's a massive amount of individual little components and parts to the CAP this year 
um, that we have to consider when we meet a farmer. I suppose the last time we had a major change in cap and in payments was back in 2015 uh, when we switched over from the old single farm payment across to the basic payment scheme. And uh, so since then, the past seven years has been pretty smooth, you know, bar individual changes on individual farms, but the overall concept or the overall payment system hadn't changed in that seven years. This year, we've just sort of started from fresh again, really. There's a huge shake-up and, you know, there's new terms like BIS and CRIS and eco-measures and complementary income support for young farmers. These are all new terms that farmers are going to have to get their head around. And, uh, you know, I've met a couple of farmers already just to have a general conversation around the farm payment and, uh, you know, you just sit down and you say, which of the eco-measures are you going to select? And they look at you like, you know, mm. what do you mean? They haven't even thought about it. No, uh, I suppose I, I, this is the, absolutely, yeah. Paul. And that is mm. the thing, that there is just so much information out here, so many changes, and people are uh, unsure of them. We'll run through a couple of little things now for a moment, but just, look, it's a hard question to answer, but a, a broad kind of a one. What are you seeing on, on the actual figures uh, coming in for farmers? Are farmers depending on their holding? Are they losing much versus last year? Are they roughly the same if they're a kind of a small, lowly stocked farmer? Are they a little bit more, a little bit, um, or is it the larger farmers who seem to be losing out? Is there a kind of a generality on it? Or maybe it can't be answered, that question. It's, it's, it's very much farm dependent, MJ, because um, if you take it, the, the old basic payment uh, unit value, I suppose, it pretty much was different on every single farm in the country. So you had some people with traditionally having a very strong payment based on the activity of their farm back over 20 years ago now, in 20, in, back at the turn of the century, you could say. Mm. But um, with this new system, like there are limits put in place, like for example, crisp payment, that's a payment of about 40 euro per hectare, but the maximum payable area on that is 30 hectares. So that's definitely putting a, an advantage back to the smaller farmer because, mm. you know, a guy with 30 hectares is going to get the same crisp payment as the guy with 300 hectares. On the eco-measure then, on the other side, uh, that's payable on every hectare that the farmer farms. So, you know, somebody with a small amount of land, uh, they get a relatively low eco-payment. Now, the payment per, per hectare there is around €70 Euro per hectare. And again, the actual figures are not fully um, hammered down yet until they see the level of interest and so on, you know. But the eco-measure, for example, it's a payment of around 70 per hectare, but if somebody had, you know, a lot of hectares, like traditionally maybe tillage farmers would have been covering a large area of ground, they'll get a large eco-payment because there's no limit on the, the amount of eco-measure uh, hectares that you can put down. So it's very much, it, it varies, MJ, and yeah. it's very from farm to farm. But the first thing we'll probably do with everyone we meet is we look at, well, this is where you were last year and this is where you're going to be this year. And just, you know, really going through the the important points to make sure that every farmer gets the maximum amount of, of, of return from this that they can. Yeah, absolutely. This is where, you know, a bit of planning and, and, and uh, planning before they come into the office is really, really important. Yeah, so the uh, the closing day for the uh, the cap this year is 29th of May. I know we're used to kind of 15th of May, but it's a couple of weeks later this year. But look, we won't feel it coming around. The big one, I think, mm-hmm. Paul, is that the eco-measures. Look, you have to pick a few of these eco-measures in order to tick the box, in order to go forward and, and get your get your eco-payment. Firstly, what are they, uh, Paul? What's on the table for people and what are most people picking or what are you, what are you seeing is most popular? Well, in terms of the eco-measures, there are eight individual eco-measures. Um, so, you know, there's terms like space for nature. So that would be like tillage farmers in the past would be familiar with um, ecological focus areas. 
So you were given credit for hedges, drains, buffer strips, things like that. So space for nature is an important one. There's also an eco-measure of reducing livestock numbers. Uh, so there's bonuses there for reducing numbers for spreading less nitrogen. There's uh, another one is for planting trees or planting hedgerow. So again, these were things that maybe people in, in environmental schemes were doing in the past, but now you could see general farmers doing these things. Uh, GPS controlled uh, fertilizer spreading or sprayers, uh, soil sampling, planting of bread crops and planting of multi-species swords in a grassland situation. But I suppose the get out of jail card for a lot of people will be that if they have more than 10% space for nature, uh, that ticks the box for two eco-measures. So every farmer must have two eco-measures. However, if you have enough space for nature, you tick the box for eco-measures and you're home and dry. But where, they, where it gets tricky is, and I had a, a case earlier on this week where a farmer came in, they were on 8% space for nature. So uh, that meant they got just one credit for space for nature. And then the question was, well, what else are you going to do to get your other eco-measure in place? So we ended up that the individual was going to plant hedro to try and comply, you know. And tell me, tell me well, Paul, just yeah, when, when you're on okay, it, yeah. how is that uh, space for nature calculated exactly? Is it done off all basic payment uh, maps or what, what, what way is it done? Is it, I presume it's satellite eye in the sky job, is it? Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the department have spent probably the last you know, year or 18 months looking at each individual farm and looking at exactly where hedgerows are and are not. Uh, for you know all the all the features because all the landscape features that contribute to nature, um, so you know even things that maybe the farmers were taking out in the past like you know uh, furs or corners where there was scrub or whatever it might be like they're actually now being counted back in as space for nature. Um, but the department maps will show where the space for nature is and they'll come up with a calculation. Now if we look at some and and we see that they're they're double counting some feature or they've left out a feature or whatever it is, then this is where we've come back in and say, oh, hold on, there is a hedgerow there, uh, and we put that in, and then we, we build our credit, which potentially might give us the over the 10%. But, uh, you know, again, this is all going to take time because you're looking at each individual parcel. You could have somebody come in with 30 or 40 parcels, so it's going to be very, very slow. Are you looking for, people are going to go to the event next uh, Tuesday night, Paul, and I presume the message you're going to be putting out from then on is, listen, come in early, come in for that initial chat early, and let's let's run through it. Like, you can't really have someone coming into you here the day of the payment like it was done in the past and expecting to, to kind of get this across the line in the space of half an hour. Like, Absolutely, yeah, look at... This is, we all know the margins that are in, in farming, especially on the, we'll say, the tilly side and on the dry stock side. So for those farmers, but also for, for farmers in general, this is it's probably one of the most important tasks of the year, if not the most important task on many farms yeah. for the year. It, it's, it's where, you know, you win or you lose. So you need to have a bit of preparation done. You need to have looked at your maps, see that they look in order, get familiarise yourself with some of these features or markings on the map, the space for nature, um, you know, check your areas, check that you're not missing land parcels. Because where you have a switchover like this, you could easily be losing land parcels. You could easily have lost land parcels off your off your system. And this is where we have to say, well, you know, we need to get these back in. So, you know, there can be glitches and problems. Yeah. But also then, if this space, sorry, if, if, the eco, if the eco measures, the space for nature doesn't see you through, then, well, what else do you prefer to? You prefer to, so hedgerows, and if so, where are they? Because we need to identify where you're going to put them. How many linear meters are you going to soil sample? Are you going to sow break crops? Are you going to reduce livestock numbers? So these are all the questions. And you know, this is you, you need to come in kind of with your mind made up on all these things because 
we can't spend half a day kind of debating whether you should or shouldn't do these things. Well, especially, especially uh, Paul, given given the kind of pressure ag advisors are under, we, we saw that mm. with, at the back end of the year. I'm going to have to just leave it there, uh, Paul, but I'm going yeah. to say many thanks for coming on. Your next Tuesday, 21st of March, it's half seven, Tullamore Court Hotel. It's open to Chagas members and non-Chagas members alike, and I'm sure you're going to have a big turnout. Uh, many thanks, Paul, for coming on and speaking about that to me this evening. Thanks very much, MJ. Thank you. Uh, Paul Fox there Chagas Tullamore and we're shooting into Dairy we have Aidan Brennan from the Irish Farmers Journal on the line Aidan many thanks for taking my call this evening No worries then Jay uh, So Aidan look plenty of dairy issues at the moment we're mid-March it's busy 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 on dairy farms throughout the country but added to that stress not that dairy farmers need it at the moment because enough going on is this whole area of banding and uh, the details have uh, come live in the last couple of weeks about what dairy farmers uh, need to do or what band they're in obviously there's no dairy farmer listening that doesn't understand this area upside down and inside out. But for the non-dairy farmers or people who may not be fully familiar with it, just even in a word, Aidan, this, this area of banding, what, what exactly is it? Yeah, so I, I think the best way to describe it is to say that every farm animal in Ireland has a nitrogen excretion rate. And, and so that's set by the Department of Agriculture and, and they usually don't change. But dairy cows' excretion rate, nitrogen excretion rate, has been changing. So originally it was at 85 kilograms of nitrogen per cow per year. And now that went up in recent years to 89. And I suppose the change now is that the department have decided that they're going to adjust the nitrogen excretion rate for every dairy cow based on how much milk she produces or mm. how much milk the herd produces. So it's at a herd level. And there's now three bands. So the low band is 80 kilos per cow. The middle band is 92. And the high band is 106. And um, I suppose, you know, to get to get into the middle bands, you have to produce over four and a half thousand kilos of milk per cow per year. And to get into the high band, you have to produce over six and a half thousand kilos of milk per cow per year. So the majority of farmers in Ireland will be in the middle band, the 92 kilogram, which is a good bit higher than 89 because every kilo adds up. So you then add up all the kilograms of nitrogen that each animal is emitting on your or excreting on your farm divide that then into the total number of hectares you're claiming. And, you know, depending on where you sit then, you might need a derogation in your farm. And the derogation kicks in at over 170 kilograms of N per hectare. And that allows you to go up to a maximum of 250. So we might talk about the 250 again later on, uh, MJ, because that's also changing, which is a big problem for farmers. But the banding then, just I suppose, for in, 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 it, it's fairly reasonable in many ways because those higher yielding cows do excrete more nitrogen because they're eating more feed, they're producing more milk with that feed, and then they're excreting more nitrogen out as a result of that. So, I so suppose, there's a fair bit of science to say that this is reasonable. Yes, but it's a, you know it's, it's a change which is well. It's a, yeah, no, it's, a, it's yeah as you said, or it's, it's it is like it's a massive change. I suppose there's really two categories of dairy producer now or dairy farmer now. It's whether you're under or over 170 essentially uh, if you look at the farmer that's maybe under the 170 not you know he's still obviously highly stocked but not not stocked to 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 mm. a, a north of 170 level uh, like these banding rules what changes are is a farmer like that that slightly lower stock farmer uh, going to have to make is he or she going to have to cut down on cow numbers or will will they be okay potentially have to cut up cut down on cow numbers if now because of banding, if they're in the high band or in the, even the middle band, you know, they're now potentially over the 170. So they mm. might need to go into a derogation. And that's not the end of the world. Um, a, a lot of the measures, you know, that, that are, you know, for derogation farmers aren't overly, you know, they're more, you're higher risk of getting an inspection. You can apply with more environmental rules. 
But, I mean, if it allows you to retain the cow numbers you have currently, I'd recommend guys to go into a derogation. That, you know, it makes sense. The issue is, if you're currently in a derogation, mm. And and now you're being your your the banding is now means that you're going to be over two hundred and fifty. Mm. That's a big problem because there's nowhere to go after that. You mm. have to cut cow numbers in that case. But okay, there is talk of exporting slurry, but that's more difficult. It, there's more owners rules than that, and there's less farmers who are able to accept that slurry. Mm. So really, it's those that are the upper end are at most risk of this, particularly those that are at in the high band in the hundred and six kilo band. Um, but I suppose just to explain as well, there is there are farmers who are historically in the, the high band. But the department have changed the rules to allow farmers to nominate what band they're going to be in in 2023 alone. Because that's a once-off. If you're marginally over the, into the top band, you say in last year's milk production or the average of the last three years, you know it could be it'd be very unfair for you, for that farmer to be then uh, limited to you know have to reduce cow numbers or get extra land in, in 2023. So the department have said you can say I'm definitely going to be in the middle band in 2023. And if that means drying off your cows early or feeding more milk to calves or just feeding less meal during the summer so your cows are going to produce more milk in order to get under that 6,500 kilo limit, then farmers can do that this year. And then in subsequent years, then they can say, well, you know, 2023 will be their year in 2024 that they'll still be, uh, you know, eligible to be in the middle band. Um, so it's really those that are at the edges of the bands are, are the ones that are at most risk. Of, uh, of, of something going wrong and Aidan those people that are on, on the edges of the band that are up on close to 250 at the moment we just alluded to it uh, slightly earlier talk of the, the 250 changing to 220 it's been mooted it's been in it's been out up and down it's yes. still at the 250 yeah. at the moment is there any definitive kind of detail on when we're going to know what that level is at for the rest of the year we won't know that until at, at the earliest September 2023 so September this this year and we, it'll kick in then in 2024. Right. So a very tight timeline for what's going to happen. And the indications are, I mean, the Department of Agriculture speaker who, who was speaking at the Irish Farmers Journal Nitrates Roadshow, he said it. He said it's likely that the majority of the country will be under 220 in 2024. It's actually a huge change. It's, it's a massive change for farmers. Uh, it's going to be prohibitive for many dairy farmers to retain the existing cow numbers they have if the derogation goes to 220. And that's why you're seeing such a demand for land. The price of land has gone through the roof because dairy farmers are saying to themselves, well, if I get extra land, even if the 220 comes in, I'll have more land available to dilute the, the, the nitrate excretion rate I have at the moment. So I'll fall under the 220. Um, you know, it's, it, and, and they're trying to, you know, most farmers, MJ, would take on extra land in order to produce more. But in this case, they're taking on extra land just to retain what they have. And, and the Chagasen issued a report last week, which was basically saying that this, this measure going from 250 to 220 will have negligible impacts on water quality and there are other things the government should be doing to improve water quality not to be reduced in the derogation. Uh, what about your own farm, Ed, and your dairy farming as well? How is it going to affect you? Do you have, will you be able to maintain numbers or will you be in trouble? I, I, I suppose I, I will be okay in our own case because um, we're fortunate enough to have plenty of outside land which up to now has been a problem because you can't milk cows in an outside block. Mm. But um, look, it's coming into its own at the moment, I suppose, because of nitrates and, and, and that. So look, we'll, we'll be over 200 kilos of N, even by you know cutting back to replacing heifers and getting rid of stock bulls earlier and all the rest. But, so we should be fine, you know. Yeah, those, but, um, uh, as you yeah. said, those outside blocks were once a, a pain in the behind for dairy farmers. They're very valuable now. There's no question about it. Uh, Ed, look, we could stay talking about it all evening. Uh, I have to say, great, great rundown there. And uh, it is uh, challenging times for dairy farmers. No question about it. I'm going to have to just leave it there if we run to the end of the time. Uh, so I'll say, Ed, many thanks for joining me this evening on the programme. No worries, Andrew.
uh, Aidan Brennan there from the Farmers Journal and as we said challenging challenging times for dairy farmers very stressful uh, because you really are shooting in the dark at the moment very hard to know uh, where it's going to go that the, the derogation especially if you're north of 220 on derogation and if you're on um, a, a block of land that you don't have access to any more it's really look, cutting cow numbers is your only option so they say there's no quota or there's no limit on cow numbers this is it this is the quota and this is the limit on cow numbers it's just written in a different way there's no question about it and as Aidan said land is the only way out of it if you want to maintain numbers uh, I know there's different things dairy farmers are doing they're outsourcing calves they're looking at contract rearing they're all sorts of things everything now is about trying to limit the amount of nitrogen on the hold and that is what it's all about something we'll be covering many times here in the programme over the course of this year and indeed next now that's it for this evening many thanks to Ed and Brennan there from the Farmers Journal Paul Fox from Chagas that night is next Tuesday in the Tullamore Court George O'Malley from the Farmers Alliance where they have their event next month the 16th of April and Sean Kilkenny from the Irish Angus Cattle Society Program is repeated on Sunday morning at seven am until eight am. Uh, we are on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, put in MJ Space Cleary C L E R Y will pop up, and you can listen to us at your pleasure. We will be back to you this time next week, seven pm as usual. So we'll talk to you then. Good night. And God bless. Music.